You are listening to the sermons of Country Gospel Cowboy Church with Pastor Johnny Lee. Country Gospel Cowboy Church meets in a one-room schoolhouse at 12257 Highway 60 in Millican, Colorado. Father, we come to you this morning expecting wondrous things to happen. And Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit might have his way in this service. And Father, I pray that you'd work on our hearts, that we might leave this place not the same as when we came in, that you do a work in our hearts that we might be better for it. Father, thank you for the word. Thank you, Father, that you've uh, let us understand the word uh, so that we might by it and through faith have salvation. And Father, we just thank you for these that are here this morning. I pray for each family. I pray for each life. And Father, I pray that we might be witnesses for Christ as we leave this place. And Father, this service is yours this morning. I pray that you do a great thing in it today. And Father, I pray for the leadership of this United States. I pray, Father, that we might support him and them in the way that you would have them to run this state, the United States, Father, that would we might some way come back to you. And, Father, I just thank you so much for what you're doing in our great land today. I, I thank you so much for what you're doing in this church and what you're doing in our hearts. So I just lift this service to you, and I pray that you might have your way. In Jesus' precious name and for his sake, amen. Okay. How many brought their sword? Amen. Look at all those weapons out there. We're going to do damage to the devil today. All right. Turn with me to Joshua, the book of Joshua, Old Testament. This book opens with God's appointing a new sheriff in town. And uh, he was given the responsibility that once Moses had of leading the people into the land that he had promised from the time of Abraham. He had promised this people this new land. And the first two chapters in this book tells the story of the preparation as they readied themselves for this new journey. The two spies, as you remember, who had returned from Jericho, Having followed Joshua's orders to go across and spy on the land, see what was going on over there and how much uh, opposition we had, uh, they escaped their discovery from the men of Jericho who, was, who had heard that they were in town. And so uh, there was a, a, a prostitute named Rahab that hid them out up on the roof under some flax that she was drying out. And so they stayed there until they searched their house and she made a, a, a request for them to, to spare her and her family when the Lord God of Israel came to that city. And here's the thing, guys. She already knew about the power of God. She'd heard tell through the grapevine about how God had parted the Red Sea for this people and how God had slain all those villages and towns that, was, that laid before them in the Jordan. 
the men, the spies said, you're going you're gonna to have that request, but I want you to keep all your family inside this room. And so she hung a scarlet ribbon out of the room. Of course, she was on the outside wall, and uh, when she hung that scarlet ribbon out of there, it's, it's kind of like the doorpost of the Lamb's blood that told the Israelites that this is the one that helped us. So do them no harm. So they come back and they reported to General Joshua. And here's what they said in Joshua 2.24. The Lord has handed over the entire land to us. Everyone who lives in the land is also panicking because of us. Now, that was the news that Joshua had been waiting for. Immediately, he dispatched runners to go through the camp, announcing that first thing the next morning they would break camp and pitch their tents on the banks of the Jordan River. They would finally come to the entry point of the Promised Land. Verse 1, chapter 3. Look at that. It records the event. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and he and all the sons of Israel set out from Shittim, which is Achaia, uh, and came to the Jordan, and they lodged there before they crossed. Now, the journey from Acacia Grove, is which is called, that, that town that they came from, to the river's edge was only just a few miles, and it was pretty smooth country, you know, no problem. Um, now, here's what I think happened when they walked as tribes. They got this in their mind. We're finally going to get to cross that river that our fathers couldn't cross because of disobedience. We're going to finally get to cross that river. And we're going to obey. Well, that's a pretty good thought, isn't it? That these guys, I think they were really intent on obeying God and crossing the river Jordan. But as they approached this famous river that formed a barrier between them and their long-for real estate, they came upon what was incrossable. The Jordan was incrossable, uncrossable. And if you look in, there's a simple verse in verse 15 that gives us the picture. And it says, now the Jordan overflows its banks throughout the harvest season. So the gentle Jordan now is a raging river that swelled the flood stage. Currents can reach up to 40 miles an hour. Uh, what's more, the plains that surround that river, that go down the sides of that river, was packed with tangled brush and undergrowth. Jeremiah the prophet mentions the thickets in Jordan in Jeremiah 12:5, And one writer said, it was not the river so much as the jungle that was difficult to cross. So the river wasn't the big problem, is just trying to get to it. Uh, here's the scene. The Jordan had swelled its banks, and it spread about a mile across when it's at its flood stage. And it ranged in depth from 3 to 12 feet, covering undergrowth all down both sides that could keep a man from going across. If he got tangled up, he would probably drown in that. So that was the sight that greeted the multiple hundreds of thousands of people that were standing there and pitched their tents alongside the river just waiting for God to give the word. So the Bible tells us that they spent the next three days there. They camped. All confidence of crossing seemed to be destroyed. This reality crept into every Israelite. 
You could hear the doubts over night fires. Well, maybe the strong of us can survive, but what about our infants and babies and old people? How we, and, and the wagons of supplies and things that we have to get over there. How are we going to do this? Doubt began to form in their hearts as they listened to the roar of this river. They had three days to look at it. It's easy for us to relate to the emotions and thoughts of Israel, isn't it? So many of us face personal Jordans that feel so permanent and powerful that we don't even try to make it across. Our lives feel stalled, stuck on the wrong side of God's promises. We read all about the abundant life, but we can't even make it out of the wilderness. Well, churches can feel that way too. Stalemated by the promises of something great with God, but blocked by all kinds of barriers. And its own members is usually the barriers of, of going forward. The good news I have for you this morning is this. God can turn a no way into a highway. God alone can turn a no way into a highway. And that's the question that loomed over the camp of Israel. And that's the question that looms over some of our lives today. We're, are we going to walk by sight or by faith? Do we really believe God can handle the impossible? Joshua 3 goes on to tell us something that's echoed throughout all of Scripture. And Luke 18, 27 says it best. What is impossible with men is possible with God. God was about to reveal the steps that got to be taken in every life and in every church if we're to move from marooned in the past to marveling at God's future. The experiences and decisions reported in this chapter were a major breakthrough for Israel. A whole new generation learned that victory depended totally upon God. Totally. As we stand on the brink of the God-sized future and consider the obstacles that hinder us, it can feel like we're facing an impossible task between here and there. But these things are no match for God of the uncrossable. No match. He knows how to get you from stuck to triumphant. Just look. Let's follow the movements of God. In 3, look at verse 2. At the end of three days, the officers went through the midst of the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God with the Levitical priest carrying it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. What did this commandment mean to the Israelites, and why would God care so much about a piece of wood, a piece of furniture, that he required that to go first? What's the big deal? Well, we're going to get a clue when we look inside the ark. Because there's stone tablets that God wrote with his own finger was in that ark. That, that was a sign to all Israel of God's de desire for a relationship between him and them. The next thing, there was a pot of manna, a reminder of God's gracious provision during the previous 40 years. He took care of them. And one other item was included, Aaron's rod, a dead stick. 
that grew leaves and budded. You know what that proves? That God uses anything he chooses to accomplish his will. Even an old dead stick. Down to the smallest detail. There's three historical reminders, three witnesses to God's love and will and provision and power. The ark was a monument to, of God's faithfulness to Israel. That was a sign that God was there. But it was much more than that. On top of the ark was a gold plate called the mercy seat. And there were cherubims built on that ark. Psalms 81 and 99.1 describe God as enthroned upon the cherubim. So God showed up above the mercy seat, which gave real meaning to the acts of power that he'd put in the past and that he's going to bring in the future. The ark was the Old Testament equivalent to Emmanuel, God with us. When this chest led the way, it meant God was out front, and he would, so to speak, take the first steps into Canaan. I love that, don't you? Their task was to follow his lead, to pursue his presence, and to come after him. Verse 4, look at that. However, there shall be between you and a distance of about 2,000 cubits by measure, do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. <laughs> this is brand new country. And what he's telling them is you need to keep the people back to where a thousand yards from the ark. You know how much, how, how long is a thousand yards? How long is a football field? Ten of them. Why did he keep that distance between him and the ark? Well, do you know how many people was there? There's over two million people. And if you all crowded up to the ark, these guys couldn't see. So he kept them back far enough to where the whole nation of Israel could see the ark in the distance. And God wanted everyone to see that he was with them in the ark. He intended for Israel to breach the Jordan with him. But it only can be done if they focused on him and followed him. If he'd packed them all up inside and right next to the ark, they would have been following each other, not knowing where they were going, except they were trusting the ones in front. This way, they were trusting God because they could see God on the ark. See what I'm saying? They were far enough back they could follow him without any problems. Now, here's the good thing, guys. Centuries later, the true ark of God would come among us, the living Emmanuel. The ark contained the Ten Commandments, and Jesus fulfilled the law. The ark preserved the manna by which God fed them in the wilderness. Jesus is the bread of life. The ark held a symbol of God's power to bring life out of death. Jesus is alive from the dead and seated at the right hand of the Father. So Hebrews 12, 2 calls us to keep our eyes on Jesus, his source and the perfecter of our faith. 
We all are, are constantly entering the future moment by moment. You can tell that by looking in the mirror. It's a freaky thing, isn't it, Bob? When I look in the mirror and say, what happened to that 35-year-old kid? But we're all facing the future moment by moment. And as we look ahead at the challenges, filled with words like cancer and creditors and crisis, it's easy to conclude that we're stuck in the wilderness away from the abundance of God and all the good things he has. So as we pursue a change for the better, so many of us throw in the towel before we see what the changes are. We don't wait for them. We, we don't wait for the changes. We throw in the towel before they come. And a lot of us say this, well, it's just my lot in life. Now, I can't help it. There's nothing I can do about it. Well, we can do this as the body of Christ as well. We can't see our way clear. Don't know what's lurking under the rushing water of our Jordan. We've looked at the bottom. We've accessed, we've assessed the size of the plans we believe came from God. And we've come to a conclusion that there's no human way to, to cross it. Isn't that pitiful? Is that called lack of faith? Give me this if you believe that. Is that called lack of faith? I think so. What do you do when you're facing the impossible? You do what Peter did. You fix your eyes on Jesus. You look at Jesus, not at the storm. Jesus said, Peter, if you want to, you can come out. Because he asked him, Lord, can I come to you? Yeah, come on. So he jumped out of that boat, and he was focused on Jesus, and he began to walk. As the storm raged, the waters were still breaking. And here's what he thought. You know, I don't think it's possible for a man to walk on water. <laughs> he got to looking at the water and the storm, and he faced the world's reality instead of looking at Jesus. He took his eyes off of Jesus, and he started looking at the world and the things that are happening in the world, and down he went. Here's the beauty part. Jesus reached down and saved him. Even while he was in his doubt, Jesus took care of him. Guys, I'm not telling you that we have to be the most faithful person there is in the world because sometimes we can't. You know why? Because we're living in the flesh. And we're living in a world of sin. And when that world influences us and we start listening to those influences in our lives and take our eyes off of Christ, that's when we're going to go down. And it never fails. It never fails. When you start looking at the world, you're going to go under. Joshua told the people, here's what he said. Consecrate yourselves because the Lord will do wonders among you tomorrow. The Hebrew word for consecrate means to prepare, to dedicate, to be holy, to be separate or set apart. 
God was telling his people that if they were going to cross the uncrossable and follow the will of the Lord, they must be set apart to him. They must be holy. That involved basically two things. Here's the, the first one. Personal repentance of every known sin. <laughs> Man, I struck a chord, didn't I? Personal repentance of every known sin. You can't hide anything from God. Why try? You might as well fess up because he knows it already. One of the primary reasons Israel found their way blocked, and one of the reasons we find our ways blocked is because of sin. Isaiah 59, 1-2 says this. Listen. It tells us, Indeed, the Lord's hand is not too short to save, and his ear is not too deaf to hear. But your iniquities have built barriers between you and your God, and your sins have made him, his face, hide from you so that he does not listen. Guys, I didn't say that. God said it. And when you try to hide your sins from God, he's going to hide his face from you. Simple as that. So you might as well get it right and be right with God. And let him do wondrous things in your lives. What is the effect of sin upon the congregation of God's people? Now, church, listen to this. If sometime later we're going to find out when they reached the little town of Ai, Ai, they were so confident. But what they didn't know was that someone had not obeyed God in the camp. God gave specific, specific instructions about what they were to take and what they were to leave, not take. And Achan, he thought he'd just help himself to a little bit of the booty. And so he took it and hid it under his tent, trying to hide it from God. And so I just completely clobbered Israel. They had no chance. Because of sin in the camp, Joshua 7, chapter 7, tells you the whole story about that. Here's the thing. On the eve of one of the greatest days in history, Israel was commanded to be certain they were right with God, to examine their lives, confess, forsake sin, and devote themselves wholly to the Lord. Well, here they're standing across at the Jordan. Don't you think that these guys are listening? We better do what God says this time because our fathers didn't. And they stayed here for 40 more years in this God-forsaken wilderness. Well, the second thing is putting oneself on a spiritual alert to see God at work. Consecration in the Old Testament also involved things like washing your clothes, abstaining from sexual relations, changing your work schedule, and a lot of other things. They deliberately interrupted good and normal functions in their daily life by God's command in order to be on a spiritual alert. God was about to do amazing things among them, and they didn't want to miss it by being involved in things they could do at other times. How many of you has been so involved spiritually with God that you just forget to eat? Be truthful with me. That you don't even care about eating? You don't care about nothing else but just 
focusing on God? Have you come to that place in your life? See, that's where we want to be. That's called fasting. And the reason you fast is not to lose weight. The reason you fast is to be closer to God and put all your focus on Him. Nothing material. That's real fasting. That's when you're the closest to God. It's when you're on a one-on-one relationship. And I'll tell you what, if you're wound up in your spiritual life, if you're so on fire for God, that it's not hard to do. Because you gladly pray through lunch. Because you got things you got to say to God. You got things you got to get off your chest. You got things that He wants to say to you. So don't do. Don't be like uh, Peter and do all the lip service. Listen a while, and let God talk back to you, because He might have something He wants to say to you. It, it makes a lot of difference. So God's about to do some amazing things. Consecration means I'm going to set aside the typical and put my spirit on ready to see what God's working or he's working in my life so that I can join him. To cross the uncrossable, we must first fix our gaze on Jesus, sensing his movements and follow him. The second thing, set ourselves apart from sin unto him, being on constant alert spiritually for the hand of the Lord around us. And the third thing is step out and stand still. Did you hear me? You got to get out of the boat. But that's not all. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, Now the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. You shall moreover command the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Now, go skip on down to 13. It shall come about when the soles of the feet of the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord and the Lord of all the earth rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan will be cut off, and the waters which are flowing down from above will stand in one heap. That's kind of like the Red Sea, isn't it? But guys, this is different than the Red Sea. The Red Sea had water on both sides. 19 miles up in a town called Abel, the water stopped at the Jordan. 19 miles down, the people were waiting on dry land. From there to the sea, was no water because it was piled up 19 miles upriver and the guys walked across on dry land just like the Red Sea didn't even have to walk in mud they walked on dry land because God made it that way where they hauled their wagons they hauled their stock they trudged with their babies and with their elderly and walked across a mile or more to the other side we need to understand something focusing on the Lord is essential 
Consecrating yourself to the Lord is vital. But we will never cross the river unless we take that step of faith. You'll never cross it. Our eyes and our hearts can be right on. But if we don't move our feet to meet the challenge, we're never going to make a dent in God's work. We commit ourselves, our time, our energy, our money, our lives to what God is doing or it ain't going to happen. That's okay for isn't. It just ain't going to happen though. As much as we want it to happen, it requires faith. And let me add something else here. I want you to notice something in their trust that's present in all true faith. They stepped into the Jordan while it was still at flood stage and still raging. They stepped into the Jordan. And after they stepped out, they stood still. They were waiting on the power of God. In all their activity, they maintained dependence. See, you can't be independent and trust God. Because you're going to say, oh, I can do that. How many cowboys have trouble with, I can do that? Don't we? We say, I can do Because we don't want to admit that we can't do something. Even bowl. <laughs> but, you know, not all of us are good bowlers. Not all of us can rope. Not all of us can even ride a horse. So, See, that's, that's the wrong attitude, is I can do it no matter what. Sometimes we have to be dependent on something else and somebody else. They moved by God's command in obedience by faith, trusting God would keep them safe, and by their standing still, they testified to the fact that God and God alone has to lead them if they're going to go anywhere. So let me help you see with a little sanctified imagination now. Standing near the banks of the raging river were the armed warriors with sword and shield, a few thousand of them. Next to them, the old men trembling on their staffs, along with wide-eyed mothers and helpless babies, some of whom were newborns. All about were flocks and possessions gathered to move when God said go. All the people had their eyes on the ark, positioned high on the shoulders of the priest. See? That's how they carried it. Up on the shoulders with a rod that went through the, the rings in the ark, and they went across. That ark was up here. Everybody could see it. God was with his people. Everyone was ready, clean in heart, spiritually alert, watching for something that only God could do. And already the step of faith had been taken. Now they were standing still, and a great hush fell over the, this nation. And then somebody noticed the water was receding, and it was dropping fast. Somewhere upriver, beyond their sight. Of course, we know where it came from because the Bible told us. All the waters mounted up in a great heap. The riverbed was dry. And they began to move. Now the thunder of the river was replaced by the thunder of God's people crossing that river. 
which was a mile or more. And so great was the event of the mind of Israel that there was a song written about it, and it's in Psalms 114, verse 3 through 7. It says this, The sea looked and fled, the Jordan turned back, the mountains skipped like rams, the hills like lambs. Why was it, sea, that you fled, Jordan, that you turned back, mountains that you skipped like rams, hills like lambs? Here's the answer. Tremble, earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob. Don't you just love that? I love to see what God does and what, he, what only God can do in our lives. And we have nothing to do with it. The church in Acts crossed impossible Jordans through their ministries. And they did it repeatedly because they took the simple steps that remain for us today. A Jordan stretches before us. The challenges are too much for us. We have to believe that nothing is too difficult for God. We must focus our souls on Christ and follow Him. We must cast all our sin out and set ourselves apart to Him. And we must be ready to move when He does. Always being mindful that if anything is going to last, it's from the Lord. <laughs> right here at CGCC, we wait with excitement to see how God takes his church across our Jordan. It's going to be an amazing ride, folks. It's going to be good. He makes it clear in his word. We, like the children of Israel, must consecrate ourselves if we are to witness the wonders of our God. Isn't that true? Let's stand. All sermons from Country Gospel Cowboy Church are available to listen and download at countrygospelcowboychurch.org or on iTunes for Apple devices, Podcast Republic for Android and Kindle devices, and SoundCloud. We would love to have you join to worship. Service begins at 10 a.m. on Sunday or join us for Bible study at 6.30 on Wednesday.